When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another short week edition of the Strictly Strikes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Mike Nislik back at it with you. James Rapine from All Bengals and Sports Illustrated will join me later in the show. But we continue setting the stage for the Bengals game at New England this Saturday at 1 p.m. As we mentioned, it's a short week. The Bengals practiced Tuesday Wednesday, and they will have a brief walkthrough on Thursday. But before they head right down to Boston, because as we've mentioned, uh, the the flight is going to leave earlier than expected because of all the inclement weather that's going to be coming in the Cincinnati tri-state area. And with that, uh, as usual, another lengthy injury report for the Bengals, although a lot more silver lining this week. Uh, as expected, no Sam Hubbard in practice, which indicates he's essentially probably not going to play this Saturday, especially with the short week. T. Higgins, a positive sign in full participation after being limited uh, Tuesday and last week. DJ Reader, Leo, cons back from rest. Lots of limited participants, although it seems like most of them are going to be good to go. Eli Apple with an ankle uh, injury, although we'll learn more about that on Thursday. Jalen Davis with the thumb. He was limited, but he practiced. Another encouraging sign, Trey Hendrickson, limited Tuesday, same case Wednesday. Mike Hilton, who said he'll be, uh, in his own words, good to go for Saturday. He practices well Wednesday. Hayden Hurst, who also wants to get going, practice Wednesday. Trent Taylor, Cam Taylor-Britt, uh, two guys who want to put you know the Tampa Bay game behind them, especially Taylor-Britt with the stinger. He said specifically he wants to play. So lots of limited participants. I'd imagine most of them. We'll play. I'm not sure about Hendrickson since uh, there were initial reports that it'd be up to three weeks, although he seems like he's doing fine, at least if he's practicing. So that's an encouraging sign. But, you know, uh, from a defensive point of view, because, you know, Andrew and I broke down the Bengals offense on Tuesday, even though it feels like Wednesday. Um, we talked about that. But on the other side, you know, how much of a difference would it be to have Hendrickson? Because you're obviously not going to have Hubbard. And that's where you're going to. Yeah, have I, mean, to I, yeah, I think I think it'd make a big difference just in terms of only having to, you know, not having to keep the rotation so short. Um, you know, sign Cam Sample, um, uh, and you know some of those defensive tackles that they wrote, rotated in. You know, BJ Hill played a little bit on the edge. Uh, also, uh, you know, Josh and uh, you know that they they they, had, they were very um, flexible with you know the positionally. Uh, against Tampa Bay, um, rotated guys through, but, um, you know, you want to have, uh, you know, a guy like Trey Henderson, who's an elite pass rusher. Um, you know, Sam Hubbard played well in his absence, uh, you know, for, uh, that, you know, game and a quarter, but I, I think you definitely want to get him back. I mean, he was wearing kind of a soft brace, wasn't even really a cast on his, on his, um, you know, hand. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if that's kind of how they, that, that he, if he is able to play. 
you know, that's how he tries to suit up. But I, I think it would, um, you know, have a positive impact in terms of their rotation up front uh, to have at least, you know, obviously one of those guys, like you said, uh, Sam uh, Hubbard looks like to be trending in the wrong direction just with, um, you know, him being out uh, all week at practice. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd make a big difference. I think you does, especially against an offense that's that's really been struggling. Um, you know, you want to, any pressure you can get on Mac Jones, I think makes things a lot easier. So, Mike, you just brought up a great point. You know, we saw this against Tampa Bay, and we talked about it together with Andrew on the postgame pod. There were so many different rotations. B.J. Hill at one point moved from the interior to play defensive end for a couple snaps. You even had one set where you had no Sam Hubbard, even before he got injured, where it was Josh Tupo, Jeff Gunter. I think it was after he got injured. So it was Josh Tupo, Jeff Gunter, Zach Carter, and B.J. Hill. You didn't even have DJ Reader out there. Like, you, they, you know, they played a lot of different rotations. And I use this example of where the Bengals' defensive front has been injury-wise. Like, the whole, you know, like you go to Gaddy Town or like those Chuck E. Cheeses where they have like the pop a weasel game. The weasel comes out one hole than the other. That's kind of how it's been. First, DJ Reader went down. Then Josh Tupo went down. Jeff Gunter was injured in pregame warm-ups against the Saints. You had Jay Tufele come off the practice squad. Reader comes back. Tupo comes back. Hendrickson goes down. Hubbard goes down. Like I think whack-a-mole is the right example. Whack-a-mole. It's like whack-a-mole at this point. But even though it's been kind of a whack-a-mole situation for the Bengals' defensive front, why do you think they've done so well just defensively where they still did what they did to Tom Brady? Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry had games to forget, and Mahomes didn't have a bad game uh, against the Bengals, but it's not like he had a great game to remember either. Why do you think that's been so effective with all these different rotations they've had all year? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, obviously your offense puts pressure on teams because, you know, it's pretty good offense. So, um, you know, they're they're going to score, and, and obviously you saw them uh, – scoring bunches in the second half against Tampa Bay. So that helps. Um, I, I think the uh, scheme and coaching uh, makes a big difference. Obviously uh, this team has been, you know, very well coached and has a, a great locker room. So that kind of helps these young players along. Um, it's, you know, that next man philosophy is talked a lot about and, and you know, it sometimes it can be cliche, but I think in this case, um, you know, they've really fostered a sort of a developmental attitude kind of for the veterans to sort of help those young guys along and the young guys to want to, you know, get ready quickly. I mean, you know, you're seeing contributions from, you know, first and second round pick this year and Dax Hill and Cam Taylor Britt, um, some, some of the middle round guys, uh, you know, where you talk about uh, Osai, um, you know, uh, at end. And I think that's sort of um, helped. And then, you know, there are uh, enough veterans on the field um, to, uh, I think, guide those young players. You know, in the secondary, you can rely on a Jesse Bates, you can rely on a Von Bell, uh, Eli Apple to sort of help the young guys. Uh, on the front, You've even without Hubbard and Hendrickson, you've still got a guy like DJ Reader to sort of be a calming presence. And then obviously linebacker has been a little more consistent in terms of injuries and things like that. But I think it's like a multifaceted thing, and I think it's kind of – you know, a perfect storm where they've sort of been able to, you know, Zach Taylor talked about developing a culture here and to try to make it. So, you know, you're consistently making the playoffs and that's what part of it is. And, and you know, to survive these injuries and, um, you know, get through them and not have your, uh, you know, style of play change or, you know, your expectations change. And that's certainly what they've done. 
And you talk about the coaching staff. When you mentioned that coaching staff, obviously the head of the table is Lou Anarumo, but you also can't forget about Marion Hobby, who is the defensive line coach. And uh, this is really only his second season in Cincinnati, but the guy's been everywhere. He coached at Clemson, uh, and he was on that 2016 national championship team. And funny enough, who was on that team? DJ Reader. So he coached him at Clemson. So you already have that chemistry. Uh, he had some stints in Jacksonville and Miami before he came to the Bengals. You go back in time, uh, he had some other stints with even NFL teams like the Saints and, you know, Duke. So, like, he's very seasoned. He's very good. I think people also don't realize, like, that connection with the Reader is so huge, especially when, you know, they got him in free agency back in 2020, which I think to this day is still one of the best moves that. Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor made since, you know, they've been together in Cincinnati for the last four years. So a lot of all around coaching too. And I mean, you know, if you kind of move back, like you said, with the cornerbacks, I think another coach you can appreciate is Charles Burks because he's much more younger. He's much more newer and fresher. He's only had one other coaching stint before this with the Dolphins, and that was his really first pro job. But the way he's worked with Cam Taylor Britt, the way he's cultivated and developed him is just amazing. And obviously he's still learning. Taylor Britt is, and he's made some mistakes, but you'd you'd agree. And I know Andrew would agree. He's gotten better and better each game. And it's only going to be an upward trend from here, especially, you know, once he gets good to go um, on Saturday when he plays as he moves on from that stinger. But kind of looking at the Patriots, you mentioned Mac Jones, Uh, you know, their running back, I think has gotten a lot of tension. Ramondre Stevenson from, you know, Lou Anarumo, the way he's described him is, you know, he's a big, tough, pretty sure he's like a 230-pound back. I mean, obviously, they've dealt with Derrick Henry. They've dealt with Nick Chubb. They've dealt with those big, heavy running backs. But I also think where Stevenson is different is he's a little more versatile. They've thrown to him a little more than maybe uh, they would with, say, Nick Chubb and Henry and with their respective offenses. But, you know, what is kind of uh, the key to stopping Stevenson? Obviously, you don't want to let him get open. But, you know, if they use him in the pass game, like how do you see Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratchett being so much more explosive like they've been the last couple weeks? Yeah, you know, you look at this Patriots team, and it's really, uh, you know, kind of the start, to, you know, tail two sides. Their defense, obviously, uh, sort of, I think, powered to them to the, what success that they've had. You know, obviously down to 500 now. Uh, you know, top 10 defense, uh, very good against, you know, no drop-off between the pass and run splits. But uh, when you go to the offense, um, you know, it, it's not pretty. They have one, the worst red zone conversion pre- percentage, um, you know, in terms of uh, touchdown in, in, the, in the entire league. Um, you know, one of the worst teams on third down in the, in the league. Um, in, in sort of middling production sort of across the board. And obviously that starts, I, I think, with Jones or maybe a little more consistent running the ball, but not by much. So it's a team that doesn't really – I don't think they have an offensive identity right now. Um, and, you know, I think that's what – uh, fans are obviously have called for him to make changes to the offensive coaching staff with uh, former, you know, defensive coordinator and D- Detroit Lions head coach um, and, you know, defensive coordinator, not, not said wrong. He's the offensive coordinator now. Um, and that experiment seems to be not going great. Um, you know, I know a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was even last week where Bill Belichick said it's probably too late in the season to make change, which isn't a ringing endorsement of your offensive coordinator. Um, and, you know, he's obviously earned the right to sort of kind of do what he wants, but um, sometimes you make mistakes and it feels like, you know, the way he's kind of structured this offensive coaching staff um, has not worked. And, you know, you've seen 
sort of clip after clip, week after week of Matt Jones expressing frustration. Um, and those are not uh sort of uh you know great visuals um and i think kind of sums up but it kind of sums up i think where they are right now i think it's it just seems like it's very very um you know frustrating on that sideline uh just because i think their production is not where they want to be and you know it's interesting they they were you know the defense in the Bengals doesn't want to let the offense down it feels like you know the offense in new england is very much letting down you know when you have a top 10 defense um, you, you know, and you're seven and seven, that's, that's, you know, there's a sign there. Why, right. It's on the offensive side of the ball. hundred percent on the offensive side of the ball. And like, it's funny that you mentioned just, you know, the, the TV broadcast screenshots of Mac Jones being so angry and pissed off because like, you know, I, I don't blame him sometimes. Like I feel upset for him too. I, I do think part of it is on him because like, I think one way you could look at it as, you know, take Joe Burrow, for example. You could put him on any other team, even that's not the Bengals. And maybe he wouldn't take him to a Super Bowl like he did last year. But I don't think he'd be 7-7 seven and seven yelling on the sideline thinking, why can't I win with this team? So there is part of that it factor that I don't think Mac Jones has with all due the total respect to him. Because I really don't think he's as bad as people make him out to be. But the other flip side of that is like Matt Patricia, who is a defensive guy who, you know, solidified himself as that defensive coordinator in New England for those six or seven years he was there. I cannot understand why he's calling the offensive play calls. I don't think Mac understands it either. And the irony of it is I saw something where um, it was Matt Patricia who said, oh, I love his outbursts. Like he literally said, oh, I like it when he yells like that. And I'm just like, I mean... Why? Because Tom Brady did it? Yeah, Tom Brady still yells and cusses on the sideline to this day. I'm sure he did it against um, the Bengals when he was on the sideline when things were going bad, but he's also Tom Brady. He kind of earned the right to do that. You know, Mac Jones, hence the name Mac, like he's still a young Mac. He's he's not quite there yet where he can yell and kind of look like he's uh, the leader in that aspect, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is how much of it do you put on Mac Jones and how much of it do you put on in what I would honestly call the dysfunctional play calling they have? Well, it's hard to separate. And I think that's what they, they're going to have problems to try to, you know, they've got to figure out what direction they want to go and not to make it too much about the Patriots. But I mean, they have to decide after the season, was it more Mac Jones or was it more the offensive play calling? Cause eventually they're going to have to decide if they want to sort of, you know, put all their eggs in that basket with Mac Jones as their quarterback of the future or um you know bailey zappa played well right when he came in and and you know they went they sort of had that one game where they went back and forth but um you know they're gonna have to figure that out i, I don't think you know I, I mean i certainly think that mac jones is not uh, a good enough quarterback to not have a play caller that can unlock his strengths right like a brian callahan seems like you might get more out of Mac Jones. Um, but what's his ceiling? I mean, it, it's hard to say right now. And I, and I think you'd be hard pressed to say, you know, he's in a top 10 in the league, but uh, you know, top half. I mean, I, I don't, I, who, who's to say just based on how bad that their offensive play calling has been this year. Um, but I, 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 I wouldn't say he's won anybody over certainly with the way he's played. Yeah, I mean, it is a very controversial thing because, like, it, it just feels like yesterday, you know, they were talking about, you know, whether it was going to be Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones. And, I mean, I'm a little biased. I covered Bailey Zappi the one year he was at WKU. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was good in college. I think he's been fine in the NFL when they played him. You know, and like you said, not to make too much about them. That's their problem. They're going to have to deal with that even, 
you know, once the season is said and done, because that's not going to go away even with three games left. But, you know, I still think at the same time, that's something the Bengals take advantage of because you look at a quarterback whose weaknesses have been exposed in a lot of games where it's really shocking to see how he's played. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Raiders game, for other reasons besides that ending, I think showed that. So that's something that Lou Anderum is definitely going to take advantage of. I think if you bring the heat, uh, kind of like they did with Brady in the second half where they made those adjustments where they threw off some of those uh, coverages with blitzes. Like, Because there were times where they would drop eight like for a second and throw Brady off and then just bring all the pressure where I'm pretty sure that's actually what caused at least the fumble he coughed and the interception he threw to Jermaine Pratt because that's when Osai just decked him. And if you do that against Mac Jones, I think you'll have a lot of success. I think, yeah, you definitely have to put those disguised blitzes on him throw off his progressions, whether that means, you know, even a safety blitz with Von Bell and Jesse Bates or just putting eight men in the box where you get like an Osai or a Logan Wilson to do what they did to Brady. I think that's part of the key with stopping Mac Jones. You know, and with receivers, I don't really think there's much to worry about because we don't know if Devontae Parker's going to play. He hasn't practiced this week. Jacoby Myers, I mean, is not exactly anywhere near a T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd for a number two or three receiver level. So I don't think that's going to be much of an issue. I think the key is just not letting Ramondre Stevenson get yards after carries or catches and then just throwing off Mac Jones. So it's really, I think, in a nutshell, among other details, it's that. But stay with us. James Rapine from All Bengals Sports Illustrated is going to join me to talk about the keys for the Bengals' defense, along with other things to expect from Sunday's game, or Saturday's game, rather. See, I'm already thrown off by the short week, plus much, much more as we're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We're joined by one of my favorite people that I get to work with on the Bengals beat, James Rapine, publisher of All Bengals for All Things Sports Illustrated. Want someone who's been covering the Bengals for quite some time now. James, appreciate you being on, brother. I know you uh, you see me enough during the day, during the week, so uh, you know you're just so excited to be on here with me right now. Yeah, I actually am, Ahmed. I appreciate you having me. Excited to be here, and uh, you know I'm always down to talk Bengals, so I appreciate it. Yeah, I know you are, and you do a great job. Uh, you also do a great job with your uh, podcast with Jake Lisko, the Locked On podcast, uh, some, a podcast that I've enjoyed listening to myself. You know, you always have the, the good insights and the good details, and so does Jake. But, you know, with all of that, uh, James, you know, obviously it's a big week for the Bengals. It's a short week. Uh, I was joking with someone earlier. They went from one Hall of Fame that they had uh, – one Hall of Famer they had to plan for to the next. You go from – planning for Tom Brady to planning for Bill Belichick. And the even more ironic part is you go from doing it in Brady's current home to Brady's old home. Is it almost just fitting in some ways that you go from Brady to Belichick? <laughs> uh, a, a little bit, no doubt about it. I, I thought about that for sure. And look, the, the Bengals every week and going out of my way to plug them now, I guess, but the Bengals have this fifth, third, better together segment that Marissa Contepelli does and I think it's safe to say that Brady and Belichick were better together than they are separate, even though Brady obviously had that one ring a few years ago. And I think that's what we're seeing now is, you know, it, this Patriots team is not what it once was. That said, you mentioned Hall of Fame head coach, one of the greatest. And I was talking to some players in the locker room on Thursday, and, and you better believe 
that uh, are on Wednesday, rather, and get my days confused. And you, you better believe that they've noticed how multiple this Belichick defense is, and they're ready for it because the Pats, they might not have that, that Brady-led offense anymore, but they still have a really high-end defense, and this Bengals offense is going to have to be ready. They're going to be challenged early and often on Saturday. So to that point you made about this Belichick-led offense that obviously doesn't have Brady, you know, Mac Jones, I think it's been obvious, just the frustration. And, I mean, I just think he looks unhappy. Like, you've seen the the TV cameras on the sideline just pointing at him yelling. And, you know, they're 7-7. Seven and seven. Things really have been just up and down, you know, twisty-turvy uh, all over New England. But, you know, is it really Mac Jones or is it really the fact that maybe – just the way Belichick runs that system just isn't meant for a guy like Mac Jones, or do you think the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle? I, I one, I, I think Mac Jones isn't Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or right Pat Mahomes, guy a, a guy that can overcome a bad environment. I, I think Joe Burrow in, and I'm not saying the Bengals put him in a bad environment, but Joe Burrow is a guy who can overcome certain things and could have went to any franchise and changed it to a certain degree and got maybe not the super a super bowl and you know first place in the afc north for a second straight year potentially but he would have had success regardless mac jones isn't that and looking at just from afar why in the world would you not give this young quarterback as many weapons as possible and i I look back to not this past free agency but free agency in, in 2021 and what have the Bengals done so well during this run that they've started where they they set the table in free agency because they had so many bad years drafting, they had to get it right in free agency. And they brought in DJ Reader and Von Bell and Mike Hilton and Shidobe Awuzie and Eli Apple and Trey Hendrickson. And the list goes on and on of, of success. Ted Karras, Alex Ted, Kappa, Lyle, Lyle Collins. No doubt. Yeah, right. So this past year as well. And you look at the Patriots and they went out and got John o. Smith and they went out and got Hunter Henry. And and those guys are, are fine players. And I actually think they'd be pretty darn good on the Bengals, right? Aiden Hurst. But those guys aren't what they're worth what they're being paid and haven't had the impact. And when you go on a spending spree around a young quarterback and you get it wrong and you haven't drafted skill players well, well, now you look up and he doesn't have many weapons to throw to. He doesn't have Josh McDaniels, this high-end, one of the best offensive coordinators in the league. And instead, he has a, a defensive coordinator, a defensive coach, and Matt Patricia calling plays. It's a tough situation to be in. I think some quarterbacks could overcome it. Uh, not many, though. And Mac Jones is is just one of the one of the many that could not overcome it, and and that's why he's struggling right now. So to that, you know, he has been struggling, and like I said, it has been a really rough year in New England. Which I mean, it's an extremely rare year because I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, it would only be. I want to say the fourth time in the Belichick era, they don't qualify. And two of those times, one of them was his first year when Brady was not even the starting quarterback in 2000. He was still behind Drew Bledsoe. And then 2008, when Brady tore his ACL. And then 2020, which was the first year without Tom Brady. And then last year, you know, obviously they had that run and they got that sixth seed. But yeah, besides that, I mean, they are normally a playoff team. So like, this is a very rare situation to see in New England with someone like Bill Belichick, like you wonder how does a guy with six rings on his finger who had the greatest quarterback of all time, how are they seven and seven? How are they, you know, struggling with a guy who, like you said, was supposed to lead the franchise. He's a first round pick and they got the Hunter Henry's and the John New Smith's and, you know, I know Devonte Parker's nowhere near a T Higgins or Tyler Boyd, but they still tried to get guys like that. And so, you know, it raises the question with all of that happening, 
are they still good enough to beat the Bengals? Like, how big of a challenge is this still going to be for Zach Taylor? A huge challenge because I say all of those things about the the Patriots offense and the quarterback, but they can do a couple of things. The first one is run the ball. They are a really good running team. Ramondre Stevenson, we saw him last week do what he he did, you know, rushing for 100-plus yards, long touchdown, and he was questionable all week with an ankle, and it didn't matter. And, and so they have that. But they also have one of the best defenses in the NFL. And when you go on the road and you have to deal with a defense like that, they they can wreck things, and they can wreck things a bunch of different ways, sack fumbles, interceptions, sacks. That They can pressure opposing quarterbacks, especially drop-back passers like Joe Burrow, and, and they certainly – um, can find ways, and Belichick has done this time and time and time again, to to slow down top weapons. So it is going to be a huge challenge. And look, if, for as negative as I sounded at the, the first part of this interview about the Patriots, that's more offense Mac Jones and how many programs, how many teams could have those issues and still be 7-7, seven and seven, right? Not many. And yeah. This team is, is still 7-7. Seven and seven. They're still – uh, have playoff hopes and, and probably, uh, you know, they're on the outside looking in right now. We'll see. They, get, they probably got to get this game on, on Saturday. So it's going to be a tough one, no doubt, on the road. And uh, the, the Bengals cannot look past the Patriots. It's not going to be easy. You know, Bill Belichick, man, those press conferences, I, I don't know how those reporters get through. Just, um, <laughs> just I don't know how they do it. Like, I watched his press conference today, and there's really nothing remarkable he said. But he did talk about Joe Burrow. Like, he actually – did give some credence to like the way he's been playing and the way he's been throwing. And, you know, there's a funny story that I think Burrow mentioned uh, in his press conference on Tuesday. And that was that, you know, the one and only time he met Bill Belichick was at a steakhouse in Miami. Uh, I want to say sometime before the draft, like maybe a month or so before the draft and he introduced himself to him and Matt Patricia. And, you know, that's again, the first and only time they really met. So clearly, I know Bill Belichick, he doesn't look like it, but somewhere where we think there's a heart in his chest, somewhere where that heart is, he has some love and appreciation for Joe Burrow. And he's going to definitely show that love by uh, having some extra special game planning for Burrow on Saturday. How do you see the Patriots uh, trying to throw his rhythm off? You know, how do you see them covering Jamar Chase with Devin mm-hmm. McCourty? And, you know, what do you kind of think they might do surprisingly on defense? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, it wouldn't shock me, honestly, if they tried to double two of the Bengals' stars. And I'm not sure which two. Obviously, one would be Jamar Chase. But do you go with T. Higgins or do you go with Tyler Boyd? It, it, that depends. But I, I certainly think that could be in play. And some may say, oh, well, why would you go with Tyler Boyd? Well, it's because you, you want to take away the quick throws. You want to take away the over-the-middle stuff. And so he may go that route. And I could see that. And you're right, Devin McCourty still playing at a really high level. Kyle Duggar had the pick six last week. And you look up and down, you know, the secondary, and they have guys that uh, are talented. You know, the, both Joneses, Marcus Jones, Jack Jones, uh, Jalen Mills. We'll see, we'll see if he can play or not. I'm not sure. I know he didn't practice some this week. So uh, they have talent. But if you double those guys and you take away some of those, those quick throws, Matthew Judon, Christian Barmore, Dietrich Wise. I mean, they have a lot of got Lawrence Gar, uh, Lawrence Guy, excuse me, guys that can get after Burrow. And I, I, I think that's the key. Look, if you if you're telling me a, a game plan, it's simple. Make sure that the Bengals can't get the ground game going and get after Joe Burrow. And obviously, he can win even if you do get after him. 
So you're going to have to try to take away his first and second read as much as possible. So if you double team Chase, double team Boyd at times, and maybe they roll coverages uh, to, to Boyd's side at some point, you know, in that slot spot, and, and then also roll to T spot at, at some times. And I, I think that's what it'll be. It'll be a a cat and mouse game, as as Brian Callahan said, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Bengals deal with it because this is a must win for New England. And, and and it's also a must win for the Bengals if they're going to get the number one seed in the AFC. So there's a lot on the line. Yeah, they're going to have their backs against the wall, and they're going to be at Gillette Stadium, which, you know, they, the Patriots have lost a rare three games at home, which is, you know, very rare. I mean, they've got the best home record of any NFL team dating back to the turn of the 21st century. So, like, one of many reasons why this is such a weirdly rare season for the Patriots. But you mentioned all those key players for the Patriots' defense. On the flip side, and I think this is something a lot of people have been noticing, you know, you don't have DJ Raider for a few weeks, fill in Zach Carter and BJ Hill, and even Jay Tufeli. And then Josh Tupo goes down, and that role increases for those guys, like I mentioned, even more. And then it's like you're playing Pop Pop Goes the Weasel at this point. Like you got Trey Hendrickson goes down. So then Cam Sample steps up, and then Sam Hubbard goes down. And now Jeff Gunter's going to probably step up, and maybe Sample will too if Hendrickson's not good to go for Saturday. So you have like this, I don't know, the, the is, is it Pop the Weasel? Is that what that game is called where you try to hit one weasel in one hole and he comes out the other? Like that's really how it's been for the Bengals' defensive front. It has. But, yeah, and, and the thing with that is I'm not saying they're by any means a elite top 10 defensive front, but I mean to get four turnovers off of Tom Brady with the pressure they had, to not let Patrick Mahomes do anything like he's normally done this year, to give Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry each of their worst games this year, with all of those respective injuries and the depth set and done, and other games before that too, like Najee Harris didn't really do much in Pittsburgh. I mean, what does that tell you? When you look at that, is that just coincidence, or is that defensive depth really that good? Well, the depth is good, and and I think that, you have multiple guys that can fill certain roles and this team, this organization has done a good job of evaluating free agency draft, all of those things to land those guys to fill in, right? Joseph Osai, Cam Sample, a couple of guys that. Yeah. Osai, that's right. Yeah. And, and so when you have that, they can hold down the fort for some time and it feels like Trey Hendrickson's going to play this week. And, you know, Luana Rumo deserves a ton of credit because he pushes the right buttons in this to me, Muhammad is going to be a defensive game. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to go hang 30 on Bill Belichick. Maybe he does. Maybe he's that dude. Maybe he he's going to find a way to do that. And I'm not denying Burrow. I just think that that Patriots defense is that damn good. And so flip it. The Bengals defense, which is going to get Mike Hilton back and Jalen Davis back and should have um, most of their guys back outside of Sam Hubbard. If that's the case, all right, go shut, shut down Mac Jones. Go show Matt Patricia that he's not an offensive coordinator. Go do that. Continue their struggles. Don't let you know any of their, their receivers go off and have big games. So I think that's really the key, that this could be an ugly game in this Bengals defense. They've come through time and time and time again this year, uh, more shorthanded than they're going to be on Saturday. They need to come up big again on the road in a hostile environment, especially against a team that is probably going to get its fair share of stops for some turnovers. I think this Patriots defense is going to have a pretty good day. So this Bengals defense needs to match it to, to keep pace. So, so Joe Burrow can work his magic magic and get the win. 
I mean, shame on me for forgetting about Joseph Osai. Like, that just shows you they are so deep that I almost forgot Joseph Osai has literally <laughs> been playing the way he's been playing. And I, that speaks for itself. Like, you could go from top to bottom. It's all there. I mean, all the depth is there, and they have the tools, like you said, to where they are going to have to go tick for tack, you know, with the Patriots' defense because, yeah, they're, they're not a bad defense. Like, Andrew Gillis and I were talking about it yesterday, and when you have Matthew Judon and Josh Uche on – you know, different sides of defensive front. That's that's tough. And I mean, the way that you described the Patriots' defensive game plan—don't let Joe Mixon and Samaj Piran get going and get to Joe Burrow. That's exactly what Todd Bowles did in the first half against the Bengals. Burrow had probably one of his worst first halves of the season, believe it or not. I mean, probably the worst half he's had since maybe the Browns game, which was his worst game of the year, I'd say. And then on top of that, like I mean, Mixon and Piran didn't average more than two yards a carry. And then, unfortunately, the Buccaneers literally threw that in the trash can because when you cough up for a turnover, then you give Joe Burrow, you know, field position in Buccaneers territory. There's nothing you could do at that point. So, you know, that's a game the Buccaneers could have and should have easily won, but they didn't because just, you know, Tom Brady, I don't know, it's a head scratcher. I mean, someone like him, I don't know how he had a game like that, but that's exactly what I think Belichick's going to try to do and what, you know, Matt Patricia and the other coaches are going to try to draw up is, you know, taking advantage of trying to get uh, Burrow off his progressions. But I guess kind of my last question for you, James, to wrap it up, because I know your time is tight. Is there something that I think, you know, maybe sticks out about this game that maybe some people don't know about that they should know as far as like just an exciting matchup or an exciting storyline that might be underrated? Hmm. Well, I, I do think it's, uh, it's always fun to, to see guys go back to where, where they were playing and Ted Karras, playing the Patriots. He did so as a member of the Dolphins a few years ago, and and he gets to do that again. And look, he beat the Dolphins earlier this year. I'm sure he would like nothing more than to do the same thing, right? You beat the Dolphins in week four. You beat Brady, the quarterback that, uh, you know, helped you win two Super Bowls and is the reason why you have two rings. Now go get the coach. That That is, is the reason you have two Super Bowl rings in, in Bill Belichick. So I think that's one. That's probably going to go more under the radar. I know we asked him about it, but it's going to go under the radar because he's a center and not a quarterback or a receiver. But, you know, he, he played a, a ton of, of big games and, and a, a ton of big downs for this Patriots franchise. And with the year he was in Miami, they weren't Super Bowl contenders necessarily, and now they are here with the Bengals and his team is. And so going there, winning at Gillette, I think that would mean a ton to him. So that's one thing. And, and then the other thing that I, I think this game – could come down to and, and one thing I'm watching that no one else is talking about Evan McPherson who I think has rebounded after a, a couple misses a few months back when we were talking to him before the bye week and then Drew Chrisman it's been a little shaky in recent weeks and he got off to that really good start and it looks like there's a little a, it looks like they're, he's human and so he certainly is, is. Just, is is that just an adjustment that he needs to make because they need the reason they went to him is they wanted him uh, to be able to have success there and win the punting battle. And I'm not sure he he necessarily did that last week was weird with all the bucks turnovers, but, and he had one nice punt, but he also had some bad punts. So we'll see uh, if he can recover from the past couple of games and, and rebound and what I think is going to be a, a crazy environment. And we'll see what the weather's like. You never know with Gillette and the wind that uh, that can be up there North in the, in the Northeast. Well, not even just that. I mean, with the weather that's coming to Cincinnati this week, I mean, 
I'm not even sure if and when I'm going to be leaving Friday. Like my flight actually, I was supposed to leave 1030 Friday morning. Delta Airlines moved my flight to 355. And I don't even know if that's going to be a good enough time. So part of me is wondering, like, should I leave Thursday? Should I stick with the 355? When are you leaving? Are you leaving Thursday for New England? Uh, no, this is the one one road game I'm missing. So otherwise, otherwise, I would probably try to leave Thursday to get out. Uh, of town, but this is the one road game where I'm going to have to cover it from the, the comfort of uh, Rapine Manor. Rapine Manor, man. Well, I was going to say, with the, <laughs> you got a nice setup. I know when people watch your podcast, because um, I know you do a video and audio version, you got a nice little setup. So the Rapine Manor is not going to be a bad place to be uh, this weekend with the family for sure. No doubt. Yeah, it, it'll be good. And then I, you know, I, I'll be back at it, but I'll be covering it, you know, from here. And, you know how that is, covering it from the TV. I'll be uh, watching yeah. all the news conferences, getting caught up that way, and you know that'll be uh, that'll be how we do it. The only game this year that'll be the case, though. Hey, that's that's what it's all about, man. You're you're a workhorse. You do great work. Uh, again, you are the host of the Locked On podcast, which you and Jake Lisco both host. Fans can uh, tune into that wherever they subscribe to their podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you name it. He's the guy. Uh, that's James Rapine, the host of uh, the podcast, like we mentioned, covers the Bengals for Sports Illustrated. Someone I'm really lucky to call a friend, James. Thank you for making time to be with me. Appreciate you, brother. Mohamed, appreciate you having me. Thanks for the kind words, and uh, keep up the good work. Likewise. Don't go away. We've got more to wrap up on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Mike, we had James Rapine on. He had a lot of great insight on just both sides, the Bengals and the Patriots, and you know, kind of what each team kind of has to do to each other, like what the Bengals have to do to the Patriots and vice versa. I guess, you know, there's a lot of things you could look at, a lot of things you could kind of assess. But I think one thing that sticks out to me, and I think maybe to like a lot of other reporters this week who have talked to players is, you know, a lot of these players and coaches have never gone against Bill Belichick. Like just as Joe Burrow's first game against Bill Belichick, they've met before, but not in a game. So, you know, I guess like is the whole, I know you hear these storylines, Burrow versus Brady, Burrow versus Mahomes. But maybe is Burrow versus Belichick kind of an underrated matchup that I think people should keep an eye on on Saturday? You know, I I take my guide from the players. You know, the, the Burrow's been asked a lot about those those things and the matchups, and um, I don't think they pay a lot of attention to that. You know, I think that they certainly, um, you know, when you when uh, Zach Taylor talked about his respect for for that, that coaching staff and that team, I thought that was genuine. But I don't think it's something that the players sort of think about i think they think about you know when you see the film what they're calling what the the, the plays that they're they're running but I, I don't i don't necessarily think it gets sort of they, they get deep into the weeds on that uh, you know i just think it's not something how uh players view the game i i, I just I, I think they sort of um ignore all that yeah i agree i agree so obviously i mean you're not going to get much from burrow or you know, Zach Taylor or anybody like that on that. Although, I mean, you know, Burrow actually had a, a good point, and I'll, I'll be writing about this here soon. If you go to cleveland.com slash Bengals to read about kind of how the players and coaches view Bill Belichick. But, you know, I think obviously 
where Burrow is going to be anticipatory for this game versus others is, you know, Belichick is a master of second half adjustments. It's not cliche to say that because I think that's part of what makes him such a great coach, even without Tom Brady. Like that's something that I think he still prides himself on. And that's something that, you know, Joe Burrow is going to be really watching in the film. He's going to be watching when he, you know, goes through practice. Like I'm sure they're preparing for any kind of looks that are going to throw them off, whether it be, you know, a typical too high look, or maybe they kind of play, like I mentioned that the Bengals should do against Mac Jones. Maybe they also do kind of those this blitz disguises and maybe try to throw off the offensive line. So yeah, that's something they're definitely going to look for. And I think that's something Brian Callahan's anticipating because, you know, there's a good example he mentioned this week when he was an offensive assistant with the Broncos, when he was with Peyton Manning in 2015, the year Denver won the Super Bowl, he talked, uh, and you remember this, he talked about, you know, when they went against, Belichick and the Patriots and kind of how they went against, you know, uh, Jamie Collins, their linebacker and just different audibles they had in that game and some big significant plays that actually turned the tide in that game that really helped the Broncos win that game. And the best way he summed it up, that's a cat and mouse game. I think the big thing to watch in this game on offense and defense with the Bengals is it's going to be a cat and mouse game. That's just how it is when you go against Bill Belichick. Who's the cat and who's the mouse? I think is subject to debate, you know, uh, that, but that's the thing. It's like, it's kind of like who laid it first, chicken or the egg. So it's kind of like who's the cat or the mouth. I think that's going to be a uh, really fun to watch, but just to kind of wrap up, Michael, you know, uh, we did this last week. I'm going to get you off guard again, but if there is a number to watch or a just figure to watch, uh, in this Saturday's game, what would it be and why? Did I put you on the spot again this time? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I should this. remember, right? I should remember that it's, that it's coming. Or wait, is hey, no, it Wednesday? Isn't it, wasn't it Thursday last week? Yeah, but with the short week, this is basically like our Thursday, if you think about it. So, yeah, you th- the dates threw me off, I guess. Uh, you go first. I'll think about it for a second. Absolutely. You know, I actually think uh, the number to watch is – hear me out on this. It's 16. The reason I say that is because I don't think either team scores more than 16. I think that's going to be the cap for either side. Like, I don't see the Bengals or the Patriots scoring more than that. The reason is because – and this is with respect to the Bengals' offense with how good they've been. This is going to be a defensive battle. Like like I said, Belichick is a defensive guy. Like, you know, that's something he is a Hall of Famer for, among other reasons. But he's going to – I don't think Joe Burrow is kidding when he said you got to be ready for those adjustments. Like, I do think there's going to be some some second and third down looks that are going to throw the Bengals off. Because, like, let's be fair. In the first half, they did not do well, the Bengals, on second and third down. And even then, even then in the second half, they were helped a lot by that short field position. I don't know that the Bengals will have that gift of a privilege – um, even right before Christmas, I don't think they're going to be gifted that many more opportunities like they were against the Buccaneers. But because of the the field position they're going to have to work with and just the different looks Belichick dials up, along with you know the fact that I don't think Mac Jones is going to be good enough to score more than that on the Bengals, I think the number to watch is 16 because whoever gets the 16 points first, I think that's going to be your winner because no one's going to exceed that total. I'm going to say 30%. Or thir- I mean, 30, I guess. Uh, you know, I mentioned the third down percentage, and New England has just been awful on a third down. And going back the last five games, have only hit 30% once. 
um, and uh, only converted 15% of their third down attempts, uh, two of 13 against Las Vegas. That is uh, dreadful. And they've uh, going back to even earlier in the season, um, you know, only hit, I think, over 40%. Let's see, one, two, three, four, four times this season. So not very good. And it's and the Bengals um, have struggled in the first half, mostly because they've not been as good on third downs. And uh, against Tampa Bay, they allowed two fourth down conversions. Um, so, that, you know, that's been sort of when they're really been good this season and been able to allow the offense to stack points. They've been a tremendous on third down. I think they've been uh, kind of a step back in the second half of the season where they haven't been uh, quite as uh, statistically uh, as good as they were in the first half. But in the second half, obviously, of the games, that's kind of when they've, they've been better. But I think if they can hold them on a 30% of their conversions, this is an easy win. Well said. Yeah, the third down woes were bad. They were 0-6 to start the game on third down uh, last Sunday. So that cannot happen, especially with the way I think that the Patriots, you know, top 10 defense is going to look this Saturday. So I couldn't agree more. Well, stay tuned as we're going to give our final previews and predictions ahead of Saturday's game later this week on the podcast. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. A special shout out and thanks to my man, James Rapine, for joining me on the podcast. But once again, for myself and Mike Nislik, I'm Muhammad Amar. We'll see you later this week. Stay warm and stay safe. This weather's going to be a doozy. Take care. <laughs>